this episode is not going to be a slow one, even though it's about snails. Uh, have <laughs> we you hope eaten? you enjoy it. <laughs> have, you, have you eaten snails, Jolene? I have eaten snails, and any time I've eaten snails, they've been absolutely smothered in garlic and really delicious. And I've had them with crusty white bread. And you know what? It's always been a good experience, even though I was feeling brave tasting them. Uh, yeah. I, okay, so I tasted snails for the first time when I think I was about 13, maybe 12 or 13. Okay. And I was on holidays in France with my dad. And I was, you know, it was like a brave thing, kind of ordered them yeah. for the novelty, got really, really into them and then kind of insisted on having them every day on that trip. And my dad oh my tells gosh. the story about how they were actually really expensive. <laughs> I was just like hammering them lunch and dinner. That is gas. And you were probably reeking of garlic the whole time. Reeking of garlic. But in fairness, like maybe Irish people taste them when they go to France or or another European country. But I have never seen them in Ireland. Yeah, neither have I actually. And to be honest, like I've definitely tasted them overseas, but um, something pretty unusual in Ireland. That's for sure. Yeah, but as it turns out, not actually that unusual are the farms. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, they're not. And our guest today is a snail farmer. Her name is Eva, Ava Milka and her partner Owen. And they're located in Gary Hill in County Carlow. And their business is called Gaelic Escargo. Yeah, so um, snail farming definitely seems kind of unusual. But as it turns out, it's really suitable in Ireland. It's amazing, And yeah, she was telling us about all of the benefits of this very clean, sustainable and environmentally friendly farming and Mm -hmm. kind of super, you know, well, from a very small amount of land, you can produce a very big yield with Mm -hmm. a surprisingly high profit and end up with a kind of a really healthy product at the end. Yeah, what's not to love about it? So Mm -hmm. we spoke to Ava about how they got started, what a day in the life of a snail farmer looks like. Uh, We looked at the worldwide snail market and how these Irish snail farmers are popping up now all over the country. And part of that is actually thanks to their snail farming school, which we also learn about. Yeah, and also because I think for a lot of people, Ava also kind of gave us a little bit of guidance on some of the best ways to taste them, how to cook them, where to eat Mm -hmm. them, and some restaurants in Ireland where you can taste her Gaelic escargot. Sounds absolutely delightful. Right, let's get stuck into this conversation. Okay, well, welcome anyway, um, Ava. Can you, maybe let's just start off because I'd love to know how you even got into this because it just seems really unusual in Ireland for there to be a snail farmer. Can you tell us, how did you become a snail farmer? So, back in, uh, that was in 2011 uh, when we went to France and tasted them for the first time ever. And my partner and I, my partner at the time and I, we absolutely loved them. And uh, and we came back to Ireland and we discovered that uh, there's nowhere to get them really. Uh, you couldn't get them in Ireland back then. So uh, what we did was, uh, was I think it's crazy at the time, we just started uh, not even farming, I can't call it farming, but we started rearing them in few plastic containers in a one-bedroom apartment in Kilkenny, uh, mm-hmm. purely for fun, uh, purely as a hobby, purely to satisfy our own appetites. Uh, we had no intentions what to, whatsoever to start farming snails commercially, but we talked to people a lot, and, and back then some people laughed at us, and some people still laugh at us, believe it or not. It's, uh, it's still a very unusual type of farming, but some people... Um, encouraged us to 
and conduct initial market research. So we did, and we discovered massive opportunity uh, on the market. Um, and we said to ourselves, why don't we try? So we did. But if you looked, so that was, the trip was in 2011. In 2012, we had them in our bedroom. And it was really quite funny because if you visited us um, in our apartment, you would see this big bed in the middle of the room and few plastic containers stacked up uh, yeah. uh, beside it. So we literally shared the bedroom with them uh, <laughs> at that stage. Yeah. That's okay, so they were pets. Mental. Have, have snails been something you've always been interested in? or like No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, when I look back now, like my parents, uh, they would ever think for my brother and I to keep away from farming uh, because they uh, came from a farming background. They moved out, um, they moved in, I suppose, to a big city when they were very young for mm-hmm. us to grow up. Uh, in like a um, uh, urban environment, I would say. But I think the family was always in my blood because I uh, I did everything against really at the end, and I ended okay. up uh, I ended up living in the middle of nowhere in a beautiful village of Gary Hill in County Carlo. So I can call myself a coachy now. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. I told you. Well, I'll tell you what, that is not a culture accent that I'm hearing. Where are you actually from originally? Oh, I'm purely Polish girl, uh, Jolene, uh, 100%. And there's not a doubt about that. <laughs> Where in Poland are you from? South. South of Poland. Great. Yeah. And Owen, he's Irish, I presume, with an, a strong name like E O I N Owen? Yeah, he is. Uh, he is from Scaries, uh, North oh. County, Dublin. Very good. So you guys ended up in Carlo. That is yeah. fantastic. But Owen is really a third generation baker. Uh, so he's a fantastic baker. Oh, go away. I didn't realize that actually that he was a baker. So yeah, he's definitely he is, a, yeah. Uh, uh, wouldn't it be lovely actually to grow the recipe for a bread with some escargot in it? Or maybe yeah. croissant with escargot fillings? Or are there so many different ways you could possibly... Uh, uh, I do not prepare them or bake them or cook them or whatever you want, really. Well, we actually, we yeah. really need to get into that because I think for a lot of people who listen to our podcast, it's predominantly people in Ireland and the UK. And I would imagine that for a lot of people, they really don't know where you even start with snails. But before mm-hmm. we go there, can I ask you, we were in 2011, you had the beginnings of a snail breeding operation under your bed. Um Let's move forward now. Now you are actually a snail farmer with a farm. Can you tell us a little bit about the farm? What does it look like? How many acres are you on? What's the what's the setup? So we uh, we started farming snails on a on a one acre of uh, of land uh, that is sufficient uh, to produce no more than ten tons um, a year. But believe it or not, um, after five years of uh, of farming, um, we scale down to mm-hmm. five ton production uh, because our breeding rules, so the place when we breed our snails, became too small to produce enough baby snails for ourselves and for people that are looking to buy baby snails from us to start their own snail farm. Right. And that was very surprising for us because. When I look back again, if, if, if back in, even back in 2013 or 14, 
if you told me that any people in Ireland will have an interest in learning about, in learning about farming snails, or B, they'll be interested to buying the initial uh, stock from, I would have possibly told you that you had too much drink taken the night before. <laughs> because we, we actually didn't expect that there will be an interest in Ireland in regards to um, farming such unusual animals. So, so, so yes, but then... By scaling down, we were able to produce some uh, snails for other people, uh, but we also started offering them a guarantee market. So we do buy snails uh, at the end of the season from other people because for us, it's the fastest way to scale up ourselves. Okay, and then, okay. and then, and then, sorry, Jack, because I think it's very important. You know what I have noticed in Ireland that as much as people love the idea of farming snails and they have interest in learning, uh, what they really want is to farm snails and have a guarantee market. Uh, they don't really have any interest, especially initially in trading and marketing. So mm -hmm. it, it's like a win-win um, at the moment, which is wonderful. Even though it's an open market um, with a huge demand, uh, so um, the world is your oyster, really. Yeah. Okay, that's so exciting, just, and it's it's amazing to think that you guys started and it it the industry just was not there, and it's yeah. growing so so quickly around you. Can you tell us a little bit more about maybe the benefits of of snail farming versus? other farming because we spoke a little bit before this chat about the kind of environmental footprint that snail farming yeah. has can you talk a little bit about th about that so so first of all uh, we farm snails using a 10 month cycle uh, that uh, uh, which means that we start with breeding in january and then we finish with harvest in september um, the, for us, this is the only way to make our business to be uh, financially viable at the end. Uh, there are different farming method, methods out there, and every method has um, its own pros and cons. Uh, mm -hmm. And I often say this to other people because there are so many you know, misleading information you can, uh, you can read online about farming snails. So... Uh, so this is what works for us. But the snail farming in general, uh, when you look at the overall picture, it's a very clean type of farming. Mm -hmm. um, uh, because A, you don't require much land to uh, produce a large amount of animals. Uh, I'll give you an example. So one acre of the land can produce no more than or up to 10 tons snails uh, per season, where wow. the same acre on the conventional farm produces just one cow. So wow. you can see the difference. Uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that when we farm snails, there's no need to use any fertilizers, no need to use any vaccines, no, use, no uh, need to use any um, antibiotics. Uh, uh, so it's very sustainable type of farming, which I absolutely love. And I know that it may be important for, for, uh, for many people uh, that are looking into uh, farming these days. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then it, 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 it brings you to thinking that's all good and well, but like, we're not eating snails. Are there people in Ireland eating snails? Uh, I wish. <laughs> uh, from our experience, like, we used to really travel um, uh, a lot with an island. Uh, 
before um, all the lockdowns. Uh, we were attending different food festivals, uh, festivals, food events, uh, and we were cooking our snails for the public. So what we've noticed from these experiences is that the problem we have in Ireland is really this the psychological. And so the whole challenge for Ireland is to break this psychological barrier people have in regards to eating such an unusual type of meat. So our biggest challenge was always to encourage people to taste them for the first time. But once uh, uh, they taste them, I mean, the feedback we were getting was absolutely amazing. Uh, yeah. So when I look in, in Ireland, I look into, well, I think educate, educate, educate rather than mm -hmm. sell, if you know what I mean. Even though mm -hmm. uh, one of the, our distributors for Ireland, Larousse Foods, and uh, that are looking after sales for us um, on the domestic market, uh, like I can see the, the numbers uh, are increasing in regards to selling uh, such unusual product, uh, but it's still very little. So if you think yeah. about snails, think about exports straight away. And uh, yeah. Sure. And I was explaining something to Jolene because we had a little chat after you and I, Ava, decided to, to do this podcast. And I was saying to Jolene that my impression of snails has changed massively because near where I live here in northern Italy, there's a village called Carrasco who have a history right. and a culture for eating snails. And they appear all the time. Mm. But I was trying to explain to Jolene that they're not considered a delicacy and they're not considered a very unique once a year type eating. They are actually part of a diet. They are considered a, a very good source of protein and a very good thing to eat. So it's not that snails are a very, very small thing consumed by a small number of people in the world. The cultures who eat snails eat them quite regularly. Absolutely. Because that's the thing, like in Ireland, sorry to cut across you, is that we don't eat snails regularly. So for us, they are a delicacy, don't you? Mm. No, we don't. But every time, uh, every time when I think about this or talk to people about um, uh, this, people often bring to me uh, an example about Barry Brown, the, the guy who decided to, you know, launch a business by selling a bottle of bottled water and people were telling him uh, at the time, who's going to drink a bottled water in Ireland? Like water yeah. is everywhere. Yeah. Um, so we are maybe the same was with shellfish. That's what I was told. Um, people in Ireland were not really eating shellfish, uh, or fish in general. Um, but now their per perception has changed completely. So who knows? We may be, uh, uh, we, we may be into something big here in Ireland, considering that as Jolene uh, mentioned, snail meat uh, is very high in protein, uh, very low in fat. It contains nearly all the amino acids needed for the human body. So it's very healthy food. Uh, uh, but, but as you say, it's education and making people aware of that. And I suppose the fear factor with snails is that they're like, oh, this kind of squirmy creature that like I'd be afraid to put in my mouth. But it, yeah, it's exactly the same with an oyster. Like, so it is a difficult uh, yeah. thing to swallow in terms of like a scary food. But once you do taste it, it's pretty delicious. And it's just getting that word out, isn't it? Yeah. That's the way I'm seeing it is it's very like shellfish. I mean, what, what's the difference between, well, an oyster and things, but also like a periwinkle? You know, yeah, yeah absolutely. It's just a snail from the ocean, and people quite happily eat those. That's right. People so, often, so Jack, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. Jolene, uh, uh, something came just uh, to my mind. People often call uh, snails muscles of the, of the land. Sure. Great name. Great name. 
Uh, I get that. Well, maybe now that we're on the topic, can we talk a little bit about how you eat snails? Because I'm sure that anyone who's never thought about eating them has no idea where to start. God, there are so many recipes uh, or so many dishes you could create using the scarborough meat. So uh, my favorite way to, or the easiest way, I suppose, to uh, cook them is to just um, uh, use them, for example, in your scramble egg in the morning for the higher protein count. Or mm. you can make a beautiful escargot omelette, for example. Or you can create a beautiful pasta dish with some uh, chorizo, smoked paprika, um, and tomato sauce, of course, uh, more like a family dish. But I remember one of the, when the former chef, Stephen Gibson from Pichet in Dublin, he used to, uh, well, he created this uh, amazing dish of escargot. Uh, so it was a parsley risotto with uh, some escargot meat and uh, parmesan and rocket on top of it. It was an amazing dish. Um, wow. I remember Pierre Kaufman, he was cooking our escargot in one of the events in Airfield in Dublin. So he created this beautiful dish of um, escargot uh, ravioli. That was absolutely mm-hmm. delicious. And one of the signature dishes of uh, the Ligue uh, Igra in Dublin is uh, actually our escargot with some abrace oxtail, uh, wow. which is again an amazing dish. Uh, but then some chefs, they like to um, deep fry them. It's like a fish and chip style. Uh, so in the butter, uh, they are beautiful and crispy on the outside and lovely and meaty on the inside. Oh God, what else? Really anything. This reminds me of the, the scene from Forrest Gump. You can have fried shrimp, butter shrimp. <laughs> you it. Like you've actually blown my mind with the amount of different ways yeah. you can eat asparagus. Yeah. Because yeah. anytime I've experienced them has, to be honest, probably been in France, and then it's like laden with garlic. Yeah, but that's a boring way to serve them. We try to uh, look uh, to and create more interesting dishes. Like I'll give you an example. I'm gonna give an example. There is a very famous dish, uh, carbonara. Everybody knows. Yes. So you use the lardons uh, when you make this dish. So what my partner came up with, uh, the idea he came up with was to use uh, escargot meat instead of uh, lardons. And mm-hmm. he called this dish not carbonara, but escargonara. Okay. Ah, clever. <laughs> so it's really carbonara with the scarborough. So this is uh, how he came up with the name, which is an amazing again dish uh, altogether. So that is very clever. Uh, so there's so many things you could do. Yeah. yeah, and it is sad that people still see snail as a pest. Well, it yeah. is the delicacy in many European countries, and as we said, Jack, like in Italy, uh, it's uh, it's something. It's a part of their culture. Mm. And mm. when you say like the snail is a pest, right? Like we all see snails in our gardens. These are different breeds of snails to what you're actually growing, are they? Well, Jolene, we farm snail, uh, the pedigree variety, um, which is native to Ireland. Uh, we oh. have a different species in Ireland, but one of them is pedigree that we farm. And this is the reason why, why we farm uh, this particular variety, because we didn't want to introduce anything that is not native to Ireland. Fantastic. Hmm. And how different okay. are they then to like the typical escargots that one would, would see in a French supermarket, for example? 
So in, in, there's another very popular variety, Greek Grow, it's called. It's uh, much bigger than uh, what we farm here in Gary Hill, but they are cousins really. Uh, the pedigree variety we farm is a smaller snail, and uh, it's around 10 grams on average. Okay. But in France, you can get both. You can get a pedigree, you can get Greek Grow uh, as well. So, um, so yeah, French eat both, uh, Italians eat both, Spanish, they prefer smaller snail. Um, but uh, yeah, they are so popular uh, in the continent, but unfortunately not here. Not yet, anyway. Can we talk about the countries where they are popular? Because w- w- the Irish people know that, that snails are a popular French delicacy let's say mm-hmm. where where else in the world eat a lot of snails so the tribulus markets in europe is f- uh, french italian and spanish uh when you look outside europe this, uh, but when, I, when we're talking about outside europe i'm talking about um uh, demand for value-added products and by value-added products i mean car teen frozen vacuum pack you name it so when you look okay. at um, value-added um, products uh, and demand for them, the second biggest uh, country is the U.S. The third biggest one is Japanese market, believe it or not, and the fourth biggest one is Canadian market uh, altogether. Okay. But it, it is actually interesting because Ita- I don't know if you know this, Jack, because you are in uh, you are living in Italy, but Italians are actually consuming more snails than French. Hmm. But French are still biggest exporters and biggest importers. Uh, and I'm going to explain you why. Um, if you think about escargot, or, uh, you think about France straight away, don't you? Absolutely, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah so, well, you have it in the name. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so snails are escargot. Uh, yeah, everybody is considering snails as French delicacy. So what French do is... Uh, some people would say very clever from the business point of view. I completely disagree uh, with their I, business I think, model. I think, I think we're going to disagree too. I think I see where this is going. Yeah, <laughs> but what French do is they, they buy snails, fresh snails, uh, live snails from all over Europe. They, um, um, they um, add value into them and then they market them as French. Okay. So what I'm trying to say is that if you go to a supermarket in France and grab a can of escargot, there's 70% chance that they are not even French. But because they were processed in France or sometimes even just packed in France, the French can say that it's um, it's produce of France. And this is how they make money because in when you look at the, at the profits and profitability, all the biggest margins are always in value-added products. So for French, it's cheaper to buy fresh snails from other countries rather than expand their own production because by processing them in France, they can market them as French. Mm. So Yeah, that happens so, a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, and it, it's heartbreaking. Do you remember the story in Ireland a few years ago? We were importing chickens from Thailand. We were packaging yeah. these chickens in Ireland and we were saying that this produce of Ireland. They weren't even putting a knife in the chicken. They were just putting plastic around the yeah. outside of it. And that was enough to call it Irish chicken. Yeah. It is It is an absolute mess. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. But uh, well, this is how it works. Uh, so I'm, I'm seeing a little bit of irony here that all of the countries that eat snails are in the southern part of Europe. 
And the best conditions for producing snails are all in the northern parts of Europe. It's a little bit strange, no? Well, the climate is uh, is changing, uh, Jack. Um, for example, we have uh, well, there's no other country really to farm snails. Uh, every country uh, experiences uh, its own obstacles uh, or challenges uh, throughout the cycle. But um, um, what was I what, what I wanted to say? Um, what I wanted to say. Or climate, yes. But we have an ideal climate to farm snails, no doubt about that. And we as a country, we have a, an excellent um, weather conditions. We have an access to land. We have a clean water. We have a good soil. And we're a farming country with an excellent reputation for food. Um, so, and it's a great market. So it's a wonderful venture to look into. But, for example, uh, so global warming is uh, working in our favor, an island. Because okay. the snails are nocturnal animals, they eat at night and they eat much better when nights are warmer, so they grow faster, which is wonderful mm-hmm. for Ireland. But in countries like Italy and Spain, like at the moment, they are struggling massively because of the, the heat waves they are getting, and it's becoming okay. too hot to farm snails over there. And again, these are two of the three biggest, biggest markets in Europe. Uh, and this is another reason why I can see a huge opportunity to establish this industry in Ireland and to make it to be successful and sustainable. Yeah, Amazing. And it's not just the snails themselves. It's not just the meat that's useful, no? Absolutely. If you look at this small creature, Jamie, Jack, uh, because snail is a very small creature. And again, we still treat it as a pest in Ireland, but every single part of it is being used on the market. Uh, so and I'm talking about wheat, mainly for uh, human consumption, even though uh, you can, some people uh, farm snails to provide them to zoos or lizards, lizards mm-hmm. or reptiles in general owners. Um, as a source of food, so we have meat, then we have uh, eggs for snail caviar. That is considered um, as one of the most expensive foods in the world. So if you look at a 50 gram jar, for example, in UK, it's selling for four, 74 pounds. Wow. And, there, yeah, and there are around 300 eggs in one jar. So it's crazy money for a snail uh, uh, caviar. So we have egg, we have meat, we have eggs there, we have shells. And shells um, are really a byproduct, but they can be used as a um, fertilizer um, or it could be used as a calcium um, supplement both for human consumption and animal consumption as well. And there's something else as well as slime, which is becoming more and more popular. Uh, slime is being used both in pharmaceutical and cosmetic industries. Uh, and scientifically proven that slime is wonderful for scars, for wrinkles, uh, for acne as well, people suffering from acne. Americans actually are working on an amazing pro- project at the moment. They are trying to develop dissolvable stitches. Um, using the snail slime. So there's so much going on with these um, two industries and when it comes to slime production and uh, and market for slime. So it's wonderful. Uh, I'm that actually mad. But how do you even gather the slime? Like, how, how do you um, farm it? These days, uh, Jack, uh, there are c- commercial uh, machinery you can get uh, to extract slime from snails that uh, doesn't harm snails anymore. Uh, so, wow. and and these guys, Jack next to you, Carrasco, uh, they they like this piece of machinery to extract slime. It's called the Muller One, 
So if you were ever interested to um, learn more about um, slime production, these guys uh, are experts. I might go over and sort out my wrinkles. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) You've completely blown my mind. (laughs) This is incredible. I can't can't believe this industry um, even exists in, in Ireland. Are there actually many snail farmers in Ireland? I wouldn't know of all of them. We work with 13 snail farms across the country, uh, but I'm sure there are more than that. Um, what we are struggling with really is that snail, uh, uh, snail farming is not really recognized as farming um, okay. as such okay. in Ireland yet. It's such a new industry and we are still struggling on research and development part. Mm. And uh, as much as I love calling myself pioneers and the mother of snail farming in Ireland and all of that, uh, we, uh, we, we were, we are, and we are still guinea pigs because when we were starting off, it was absolutely nobody to learn from. And now we still experiment a lot. We try different things and we have just one chance per cycle. If something happens during the cycle, there's nothing you can do to fix it. So you have to wait for another cycle to begin. So every project has to be like the timeline for one project is 10 months. And if something doesn't work, you have to verify which part uh, is not working and then try again and wait another 10 months um, to see. And what I've discovered quite recently is that the more I know, and the more we know as a, as a business, the more we discover how much we still don't know, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Education yeah. is the absolute oh. main culprit of ignorance. You know, the more you learn, the more you realize you yeah. don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. And stay farming was not the rocket science, but... Well, as I said, um, we have just one shot per cycle. Uh, and uh, if something happens, I mean, your year is gone. How did you actually learn how to become a snail farmer? Did you, did you do some work experience in some other places or, or connect in with other farmers? Or how, how did you gain all this knowledge? Joining the end really was trial and error. Even though, as you know, I published and snail farming in Poland is successfully up and running for nearly 30 years now so we thought that we would go to Poland we've learned everything what we have to know about farming snakes and we will be able to bring this knowledge back to Ireland initially but uh, unfortunately we have a completely different climate uh, in Ireland so what works in Poland doesn't mean that it will work in Ireland Uh, so this is what I was just I was saying earlier that uh, having nobody to learn from initially it was the biggest obstacles we have to we had to overcome initially Uh, now it's easier because there's more knowledge available um, and the industry is uh, I was a little self-fully established but you uh, it's much easier than when we were starting uh, back in 2013 because we okay. started farming commercially in 2013. Okay. And okay. Eva, that leads me on to my next question, because you you are basically a school, no? A snail farming school. You give courses and you give classes we to do, people. We do, Jack. Um, we, um, we organize snail farming courses for people that are genuinely interested to learn about um, farming snails. And our courses, they have been designed around all mistakes we've made in the past because yeah. for me, it's extremely important for people to understand what they need um, 
to open their own snail farm, how to look after snails at each stage of the cycle, and what can go wrong before they start uh, investing their own resources. And what I've noticed uh, in Ireland is that most people that are looking into snail farming, they would have this romantic idea about farming snails altogether. They literally think that farming snails is a matter of throwing them to the field and they look after themselves. Unfortunately, it doesn't work this way. Snake farming can be very profitable and extremely enjoyable, but it's a long-term project and, and nothing happens overnight. So the final production always depends on four main factors. It, it depends on your knowledge. It's always your number one. And this is what I find people don't invest in their knowledge um, uh, enough. And... When you farm snails, um, even um, a tiny mistake throughout the cycle may have a massive effect on your final production. Uh, so when you farm snails, um, even um, a tiny mistake throughout the cycle may have a massive effect on your final production. Uh, so suddenly people don't value the knowledge. That's why they are not successful at the end. The second factor is the, the infrastructure. So the final success uh, uh, will depend on the infrastructure. So how well the infrastructure is up and running and is it up and running properly. The third factor is the weather. Even though, as I mentioned, with the global warming, we our climate became even more suitable uh, to farm snails. With the warmer nights, they grow much faster because they eat much better. Like even in, the, in our natural habitat here, look at your backyard and it's full of them. It's the best indication that uh, that we have a suitable uh, conditions to farm them. And there's another factor, the fourth one, and I what I've mm. noticed uh, is that it's hugely underestimated by people that are looking into farming snails. And the fourth factor is related for farming. Um, and I know that for some people it may sound bizarre, but the final result when farming snails will hugely depend on how you enjoy what you do because as you know in farming you have to give a bit of heart into it in order mm -hmm. to get okay. a good results so i often say to people that if they're looking to start farming stands for money and money only it's definitely not the business for them um uh, people start farming snails, they fail, um, they, there, there's so many things, they, they are not prepared, uh, like timing is everything as well, everything has to be on time in order to complete the full cycle within the same season. Uh, so, like for example, this time of the year, it's wonderful to look into snail farming, and we have May now, mm -hmm. because if you, for example, decided that this is something you would love to be doing, you will have enough time to get yourself comfortably ready for the following season. So, and there are two ways to start your own snail farm using a method we use on our farm. Uh, you can start from a breeding stage. Um, or you can skip breeding stage just by a few baby snails, fatten them up, and look into breeding in the following season. So uh, you always have a two deadlines within the cycle itself. The first deadline is January. If you are starting your own snail farm, if you want to breed snails. So if you want to start from the first mm -hmm. stage, which is a breeding okay. stage, if you don't want to breed in the year one, you will have time until May to get yourself comfortably ready. So open running. Uh, but yes, infrastructure is a huge part of the success. As I said, together with knowledge and uh, and the love for farming and well, the weather. And of have course. you seen many farmers or, or hobby farmers even setting up from your courses with the knowledge? Have you seen, have you seen many people take, take this knowledge and go home and do it? 
Yeah, so we and um, we were with thirteen snail farms. Um, uh, they came to us for initial help, and we support them throughout the cycle uh, as well. Uh, but for some people that come to our uh, courses, is uh, God, what would be the best word to describe it? Because um, maybe you will help me with the like word, a hobby, like, a hobby uh, like hobby farmers. No, they'll just. Uh, Re reality check. Okay. Uh, that's the okay. word. So <laughs> yeah, real, reality. Yeah, we check. all need one of those. Yes. One of those every now uh, and then. <laughs> which, which, which I find very interesting uh, because, uh, as I said, snail farm is not a rocket science, but there are so many little things that can go wrong, and so many challenges you can face yeah. through the yeah. cycle. Would you? I, I was going to say, would you see a situation where we have as many snail farmers as we have beekeepers in the country down the line? Would you like to see something like that? I would love to. I mean, I, I could imagine it. It would be very interesting. Like, and it, it could yeah. be possible, I suppose. Yeah. But it's just kind of taking that fear yeah. factor away and like showing that, you know, there is so many benefits yeah. to it. It's a very tasty way of eating. And like, you know, there is a kind of knowledge and support there to do it. Like, so who knows? Mm. Yeah, but the biggest advice, Jolene, I always give to people is to okay. start small. Start small. Don't invest too much. Take one step at a time and do it right. Because if you complete your initial cycle, once you're happy with what you are doing, the world is your oyster. You can then expand if you wish, that, or you can maybe look at the product development, or you can change your business model completely uh, at the end. But uh, but year one is challenging, uh, and people give up very quickly. It's uh, as I said, mainly to lack of knowledge and uh, and the idea of uh, of uh, becoming very rich very quickly farming snakes. But unfortunately, it's a very slow process. Beautiful way of life, but nothing happens overnight. <laughs> Good advice. Good advice. Yeah. And that's a wrap for this week's hugely interesting and informative chat with snail farmer Ava Milka of Gaelic Escargo. Now, Ava emphasizes if anyone out there is interested in snails, wants to learn more about these amazing creatures, even just dip their toes in the snail farming world, they are always open for snail training and mentoring. And of course, experimental home cooks will be delighted to know that you can also order through their website, Gaelic Escargo. Now, for those of us who possibly don't perhaps feel confident enough to try and cook these at home, Ava has assured us that one of the best places to go and try their product is the Legal Eagle in Dublin, who have a lovely dish of roasted bone marrow, braised oxtail, the Gaelic escargots, and of course my favourite, lots of garlic butter. So we're over and out for this week, folks. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you soon. <laughs>